Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Tapiwa Mutsuriwa. So our presentation last night, for those that are joining us for the first time, our presentation, the series is all codenamed Questions of Meaning. We're looking into questions of, questions of our existence. Why are we here? Who am I? Those kind of questions. What's my purpose? In fact, today, the whole day today, we are looking at why are we here? Why are we here? Last night, we were looking at who am I? That is, what is our identity? Um, so, all to do with questions of purpose. But here was our leading text. Our leading text was Genesis chapter 2 and the verse is 7. And um, as I promised you, Sharon, Genesis chapter 2 and the verse is 7 is the text this weekend. It is the text this weekend that we, we are spending some time in. And I ask you to pray because this, this text is deeper than a human being can articulate. So I pray that the Holy Spirit can take over my weaknesses and the weaknesses of our hearing and make it so plain to us, right? I hope as you listen, um, you can multitask, listen and pray at the same time. I'll be trying to do the same as I speak and keep a prayer in my heart. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and we saw last night that man is what? Man is dust. And this is the reason why man needs to replenish the dustness, the soilness in man um, by eating a lot more from the plant. When you begin to lose magnesium, when you begin to lose copper, when you begin to lose iron, things go wrong, right? That's the whole point of eating so that you can, you can, you can replenish that earthness in you because you are earth, I am earth. If you ever doubt that we are earth, I said last night, go to your bathroom after this program and you take a comb, run it through your head. What falls down is not dandruff, it's soil. Because that's who you are. That's who I am. So, but the other thing that man is, man is not just dust. Man, as God was forming him, God then breathed the breath of life. It is not oxygen because man dies even when they have oxygen masks on their nose. So this is a principle of life. And this, if, if, if the dust comes from this space, time, matter, and space. So we are connected to this time, matter, and space because we, we, are, we are earth. Right? But there's this thing that came from outside of time, matter, and space. It is the breath of life that came from that side, that came from the other end of existence. Now, if you were doing science, if you were doing science, which I'm, I'm not a scientist, I see friends here, I'm not going to put them on the spot, that are into that kind of field. If you are doing science, you can find a lot of evidence around the human body from time, matter, and space in this physical human being. Because man is physical, you can do a lot of science. But man is not just this scientific, physical human being. There is a breath of life that came from God who is not caused, who is not um, from time, matter, and space. He is from outside of it. And God 
gave part of himself into men. Now, this part is not accessed by signs. So if you are going to look for evidence, don't play around with signs to look for evidence of this side of things because it's not in that realm. You can take your test tubes all you like, you will not find evidence there because I'll show you where you can find evidence when you try to connect on the, with the other side. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing. Um, I, I refuse to talk about science because that's not my field. I'm not qualified to talk about it. But what I'm talking about is this other side of things where God breathed and there is something in man that keeps wanting to connect with, with, this, with this other side of things. I, I'm, my, my, language, my language is so limited to talk about what I'm, because really all we have is the limitedness of what God has wanted us to know about him. And it's just this much. He's this big and has just given us this much. And we can connect with it. We are designed to connect with it. And we go through life. Sometimes not knowing what we are really looking for, but that breath of life that God gave, it gave us something called the spirit. What we define what that spirit of man is, it is not something that continues to exist after man has died. Has died. It is something that wants, that wants to connect with where it came from, just like the body wants to connect where it came from on the earth. That's why you go hungry, you got thirsty because your body says, you came from there, connect. So you want to eat. But not, that's not all that human being is. The human being wants to connect with the breath of weight, where the breath of life. That, that ability in men, it's not in dogs, it's not in animals, it's only in men. That, want, that wanting to connect with that, that is called the spirit of man. Are we together? I need to explain that so that we can understand where we are going. So last night we discovered, if you ever you are going to have an African preacher before you, for you, for him to go to the next point, just nod your head so that he knows that you have understood. Then he moves on. Otherwise, he keeps going on in circles until you have, okay, all right, we got it. And the simplest way of saying it is just say amen. amen. Ah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Then we can move on to the next point. So we discovered that man is dust plus the breath of life, then man became a living soul. No, 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 no. Man does not have a soul. Man is the soul. Man is the soul. I don't have a soul. I am a soul. So this soul, when the soul wants to connect with the earth, that's the flesh of man. When the soul wants to connect with God, that's the spirit of man. When man dies, when man dies, the wanting to connect with the earth has died. When man dies, the wanting to connect with God has died. Remember, you nod your head or say amen. amen. Ah, good, good, we are together. <laughs> what it simply means, my friends, is that man, uh, last night we had a slide that said the word soul when you go back to the original language, the Greek language, the word soil comes from the word psych. That's where we get the words like psychological, psychiatry, all those words. To say man 
The soul means the thinking person, the living person. I'm trying to connect with you. Yes, there we go. The thinking person. So man is psychological. Man is a thinking person. Man is physical. That's where you have, we said, when you get, when you break your leg, when you've got a fracture in your leg, don't come to me for prayer. You don't need prayer for a fractured leg. You need a doctor. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for a person who, who I know that's because that's, there's a whole lot of other social things that come with, with uh, not feeling well, so we can pray together. Hey, don't say we can't go to the pastor because I've got a broken leg to pray. No, we can pray together. That's fine. But I'm just saying the way to fix that broken leg, I'm behaving. I'm behaving. The way to fix that broken leg is that you need to go and have a plaster on it because man is physical. You need a physical treatment around that. Man is psychological. Sometimes we go through, uh, for many reasons, for many reasons we go through, and I'm going to spend some time in the afternoon talking about a little bit about mental health. Not from a medical perspective, but from a spiritual. I'm not qualified to talk about med from, 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 a, from a medical perspective. That's not, my, that's not my, 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 my realm. I'll be talking about it from a spiritual perspective. Because man is a psychological being. And also man is a spiritual being. We said... The problem we have last night, what we discovered last night, did I say five minutes? Am I still with it? Let's just say it was prof prophetic five minutes. We discovered last night that as human beings, we spend a lot of time and even go through our entire existence on earth just on those two levels, soul and body. There's also a, a, a fourth aspect that I've not included there. We are social beings. We just do social, we just do physical, we just do psychological, and we stop there. We are shortchanging ourselves. We are designed to connect with big powers. You know, if you don't connect spiritually, you are like a, a prince who does not know that they've got powerful inheritance. There's a crown waiting for them somewhere, and they go through life with all the paupers of the, of the kingdom, and they eat from the, the scraps and, and all that. But don't you know that you've got some connect? You, you are powerfully connected. God, I, when I say that, when I say you, I'm not talking about some special person. I mean, you. I, I don't even have any regard of what I have done or the sin that we have done. God does not connect with us because of the goodness or the, is not wanting to connect with us. I, I still hear this thing does not want to connect with us because of the goodness or the, the and we'll spend a lot of time in the afternoon talking about that, the goodness or the badness of what we have done. He wants to connect with us because he put, as he created within us, as he created us, he endowed us with this thing called the image of God. And that's, what's, that's what draws us to him. Let me say that again. God is drawn to us by a bond of love which is unconditional. Thank you. Now I can move on. Now I can move on. Now having laid that foundation, so here's, here's the jigsaw puzzle, the whole man. We are social, we are psychological, we are physical, and we do a lot good, extremely well in those aspects, but there is a missing piece in that jigsaw puzzle. 
Man is spiritual. We are designed to connect. One scientist, great mathematician of the 17th, of the 18th century, lived, lived around 1700, of the 18th century, discovered this. And this is how he put it. I'll try to translate it. As remember, he's writing in the 1800s. His name is a French mathematician called Blaise Pascal. This is what he said. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness? That is the craving of man. We try to fill it in with cars, hello, with pleasure, with treasure, with, you know, how we have these sport cars. I love one. If you have extra cash and you want to buy me a sport car, that's... But sometimes we try to fill that hollowness, that craving with all these things. Um, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that we, that there was once in many true happiness, of which all that now remains, remains is this empty voice, this the void, print and trace. This man, he tries to in vain to fill it with everything around him. Men attempt in vain to fill it with everything. Seeking in things that are, that are around us, that are not there, the help he cannot find in those things that are. Though none can help since this infinite hall, abyss, this hall, this infinite abyss, can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, only by God himself. Let me put it in vernacular. There is a God-shaped hole in man. Only God can fill that hole. Yet we try, we go, we go through life trying to fill that hole with things that cannot, that cannot really fit into that hole. Man is designed to connect with that. And man becomes whole when he connects with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the verse 7. We are in our sermon now. And I'll try to do this very fast. Pray for me. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Father in heaven, help this be clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he is saying, we are jars. What do you think of when you hear jar? You're thinking of a container, right? That needs to be filled with something. Now, this jars, Paul says, before you, think, you begin to think high of yourselves, you're only a jar of clay, you're not of gold. You're just clay. If you know anything, and I'll show you in a moment, clay, the problem with clay, it breaks easily.
living, with, living life with purpose is what we're talking about. What I'm showing you on the picture there, I just found this on somebody else's Facebook and I stole it. What you have here, what you have here is the traditional African kitchen. Every African woman in the villages, well, if you go to the cities and even in the uh, people have gone Western these days, they have all these special, but that was the traditional kitchen. If you get into an African kitchen, you will find that one of the treasured possessions of an African mother is the clay pots. You get into trouble for breaking the, tray, the clay pot. Guess what? I'm no stranger to getting into trouble for breaking my mother's clay pots. I got into trouble as a boy. In fact, when I was growing up, those are some of the clay pots that you'd find. I just put those there so that you know. And the Africans that are here are just connecting with me because they know what I'm talking about. All right. Did I tell you to pray? Anyway, when I was growing up, the Tiger Woods of the time was a Zimbabwean. His name was called Nick Price. So as boys, we were, we were really um, inspired to want to play golf. The problem is we were rural folk without a lot of money. We could not even afford uh, the golf sticks. And how did we get golfs? We would just go to the nearby golf um, golf course, and those stray balls, would find those stray balls and we'd get them, and then we would take an old slasher. I don't, that's, that's the old lawnmower. Can you see it on the picture? That's the old lawnmower of old. We'll just get that, lawn, that, that slasher here. That's a slasher. So you just go like this, and you'll be slashing the grass using it. I can see some old folk that, that really know, these boys that are growing up these days, they just go on the lawnmower and do their thing. But um, back in time, you would use a slasher. But, so what we would do is we would take that blade there and would bend it. And then there we are, we have a golf stick. So we would play with our golf stick. And one day, I tell you that I was aiming for a target. And I think I had my target. But some unseen force, please don't tell me that I missed. I don't believe it. Because some unseen hand took hold of my ball, avoided everything else right into my mother's kitchen, right to her pots, and they broke, they shattered to smithereens. You don't want to hear what happened that day. You don't want to hear what happened that day. My friends, Paul is saying to us, we, are clay jars. He's suggesting that we can break. There is a notorious being that we described the other day. He's called the devil. And he's playing his golf balls. And even right now as I speak to you, those golf balls are hitting the jar of clay. And we break including the one who is standing before you, we are broken clay jars. We are broken. I wish I could stand before you and say, I'm, I'm okay, it's just you who are broken, but that would not be true. And it beats me why God uses broken clay jars to speak to other clay jars. 
I still, I think it's one of the questions I will ask when I get to heaven. Paul then says, in spite of the fact that we are broken clay jars, Paul has this text. This is found in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3 from verse 12. I may tell you a little bit about the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a book where Paul is writing when he is in prison. He wants to convince them that all they have is my body. But my mind, I've given it to Christ. They can imprison this body. So as you read, you, when you get home, read how many times Paul mentions the word mind in that book. Sometimes when you are reading it in the English text, you, you might not be able to count all of them because in some places it is translated using other words, but even that word mind, at least 33 times in the book of Philippians alone. So Paul is talking there, whatever is happening there, he's talking about the process of the mind. Are you with me? Thank you. Now hear what he says. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have gotten it. That's the word apprehended. I don't consider myself to have it all. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm a broken clay jar. I don't consider myself to have it all. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are past, I am not defined by my past. Devil, it is only you who can tell me that I cannot come to God because of my past. I am not my past. I am created in God's image. How much ever sin has, has dealt its goalposts on me and I'm broken, but that is not what defines me. I'm God's child. Amen. When I want to go home, the day I choose to depart and go home, I will go and God will receive me because I'm his child. In fact, in fact, when I was lost, his Holy Spirit was there with me. I would not have wanted to go back home had not the Holy Spirit tickled my heart to say, come back home. So there's no, there's no point where I'll try to be smart so that I can come to God. Because his Holy Spirit even went with me when I was eating with pigs there. He was there, waiting, just saying, you need to go back. That's the craving. Amen. You need to come back home. So the devil then says, what? Are you, beginning about, are you beginning to think about going back home? You know who you are. You're not worth it. That's the whole point. I'm not worthy. I'm going to the one who can make me worthy. That's the whole point. That's why I'm going. I have nothing Nothing to recommend me to his presence had he not called me. It is him who has called me to say, come. So he says, hey, this one thing, I forget those things which are behind. But this one thing I do, and he's talking about the process of the mind that God has endowed in every one of us free will, the choices, and with it, God has taken a great risk, my friends, to give us free will. Because with that free will, we can choose not to choose him. Yes. 
but he's hoping, his hands are itching to say, I'm hoping that I've given him the free will, he's going to choose me, and then he's going to be happy forever. So Paul then says in this process that we, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in our minds, in our choices, those things which are before, which are before the next verse. All right, let me, let me talk about this process where he's saying to reach forth, to pursue this, this word that he uses there. It means to move rapidly. That's the word to pursue, to follow. I'm following through, I'm pursuing. This word means to move rapidly and decisively towards an objective. Where you, you have an objective there, you lock your focus on it, and you refuse to have your, 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 your attention on it, your focus on it, you refuse to be diverted, and you keep on focusing on it, and you, you, you are so consumed with it, and you are looking at it, and you are moving decidedly towards it. To follow, and then it includes in its meaning, to, to follow in haste in order to find something. Are you still with me? This suggests, if I am following something, this suggests that at the beginning I had something that someone has stolen from me. You probably don't understand it. Let me tell you a story of a pickpocket. I was working back home. Um, are there thieves in Australia, pickpockets? Maybe they... they they steal smartly on the, they use the internet and stuff like that. Back home, we've got these pickpockets. They, they follow people in the streets, and you're walking, they're smooth. You, you don't see them, they follow you, and they, you got people put money and, and their cards in the, in, the, in the wallet, and you put it in a back pocket. To this very day, after I had one of those experiences, I cannot keep my things in a wallet. So they would then fish out the wallet. Now, one of the things you have in the wallet is your ID. It's easy here in Australia. You have, you have lost your driver's license. You go back to the, uh, what do you call it? We used to call it the RTA. They have a new name these days, and I keep forgetting. RMS, yes, the RMS, you go there. Then they make you to sit on that thing. They take another photo, and uh, voila, you got a new ID. Where I come from, you lose your ID, you probably will not get another one. It's, it's an arduous process. But then you need it at bank, you need... So your ID is very important. You're going to look for it if it's lost. You're going to look for it high and low. So one man, I was in marketing. I'm talking to, to someone on the phone. I'm on the third floor. And you've got these glass windows that cannot open. So I'm standing on the window. I'm talking to someone on the, on, the, on the phone. And then I see on the other side of the street, there is a man who's walking. He's dressed in a, in a nice suit. He's looking business-like. And I see a pickpocket following him. I can tell it's a pickpocket because he's been trying a few times to, to fish something from his back pocket. And I'm, and I'm feeling helpless. I cannot shout because the glass window cannot open. I'm on the third floor, way up there, across the street, uh, and it's all before my eyes. Now, right at the end of the street, there's a traffic light, 
At the traffic light, he stops. And the thief now has time to do his tricks. Eventually, he manages, all in my full view, I'm even saying to the customer I'm talking to on the phone, I'm even saying, hey, I'm actually looking at robbery going on right now, but I cannot do anything about it. Then I, in my full view, the, the pickpocket manages to fish out the wallet just in time for the man to feel that something is, is coming out of my pocket. By the time he turns around, he's got a briefcase on his hand. By the time he turns around, the man, the pickpocket, is about three, four, five steps away, and he is going. This man, this pickpocket, this, this business-looking like man, he has been walking, you know, business-like, not until after his ID had been stolen. I can only assume I never had the chance to, to, to have a conversation with him what's going on. He turned around, and he pursued. Why is he pursuing? Is his ID has been stolen, and this thief may use his ID to do a lot of things. So he is pursuing because his identity has been stolen. You're not with me. The picture you're going to see is of a handsome man. Now, that's not Denzel Washington, it's me. <laughs> I suppose the ID looked like, suppose my ID looked like that. If the devil stole it, this is what he does to your ID. When God created us, he gave us an ID and we spent a lot of time talking about that last night. He created us to be happy. He created us to belong, to have a sense of community and never to be, to be alone. He created us so that we can have the joy of salvation and happiness. But when the devil steals that idea, he does not only steal it, he distorts the image that God created us to be. And then we start looking something like that. My friends, that's a metaphor. When we find ourselves unhappy and broken, do you know, do you have an idea how God's heart is broken over our brokenness? Because that's not what he created us to be. That was not his objective. Then Paul goes on in verse 12. He says, not that I've already received it or already have been made to be perfect. Instead, I'm pursuing because the, the idea is what? The identity has been stolen. He says, I pursue that I may also get hold. Now listen to what he says. I love, now I'm explaining the last bit. If I can only explain the last bit, I'm done. Listen to what he says. He says, what am I pursuing for? To get hold of the purpose for which Jesus Christ has already received me. Oh, I'm not feeling you. So what I'm pursuing 
has already been accomplished. How do I know? Because Christ has already received me. My reception by Jesus is not in the future. It has already been accomplished at the cross. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, guess what? He meant me. He meant you. My forgiveness is not in the future. All that remains is for me to receive it. When God, when Jesus, as he was dying, my friends, do you understand what it meant for Jesus to speak at the cross? The death of the cross was a death of suffocation. You, you, you can't fathom it, you can't see it. Because as you hang, this is where I needed my hands, as you hang there, your diaphragm goes up. For you to speak, you need some chest cavity in there. So you just, it's a reduction of the chest cavity as you are hanging like that. If ever you have to speak, you have to hinge on your wounds and move up and create some space. For Jesus to say, it is finished. He meant the condemnation of our sins. It is finished. You're not with me. Christ has already found my ID. He has got it. Already it's in the past. It's not in the future. Stop running around. Stop trying to fill it with some other things. Christ is saying now. All you need to do, a process of the mind, pursue it in your mind. Try and receive it. Try and understand it. Just receive it. And it's a process of your mind. Saying, Christ, I don't get all of it. My friends, I spent some time studying theology. If I told you that I have all of it, I have understood all of it, I'll be lying to you. I've just only begun to understand it. Just a little glimpse of it. But that's all right. All you need is to trust him. You don't need to know a lot. Hey, if you were sinking, if you had tried to swim in the, in the ocean and you are way up there and then your arms are tired, you can't go on anymore and you are sinking, do you need to start knowing how those lifesavers do it so that you can be saved? Do you need to know all the whole signs? All you need is to trust that lifesaver. As, as you... As he is taking you out, you begin to understand just a little bit of it. My friends, all we need, Christ has already received us. Our salvation is in the past. Our idea has been found. The devil stole it, but Jesus got it back. He says in John 10, the verses 10, the thief cometh to and to and to destroy. He came to steal our IDs so that now we become full, we become broken clay jars, hopeless, self-harming. And I know my friends, right now I'm standing on holy ground. Do you understand what I mean by holy ground? 
Let me tell you what I mean by holy ground. I'm talking about a holy shrine so that you understand it. For the Muslims, their holy shrine is in places like Mecca and all those places. If you go to the Hindus, they have their holy shrines. Where is the holy shrine for Christians? No, no, it's not in Jerusalem. Of course, I, I get your point. But I'm here, here on earth. Where is the holy shrine for Christians? It's there. Let me share with you where it is. These, all these people believe that they meet with God on their holy shrine. There is the presence of God there. So what it means is that a holy shrine is where you find the presence of God, right? God lingers around the brokenness of people. Ah, I didn't connect with you. Let me try this side. God is closest to broken people and he's knocking right there where they're broken, knocking, I'm here, I can mend you. I made your body out of clay. I can put it back together. He's right there. That's holy ground. Whenever you see a broken person, you are standing on holy ground. That's the burning bush. God is very close He's wanting to be received. He's just there. So when I talk about people that are, are self-harming, self I'm talking about broken people, I need to remove my sandals because that's where God is. So I don't speak about go people going through depression as if I'm speaking about people that God does not care about because God is closest to them. That is holy ground. I'm just saying, that place is not what we were created for. That brokenness is not what we were created for. You know where God is? He's very close to people who, are, who have looked for their identity elsewhere and they've not found it and they've landed in drugs. God is very close to them. My friends, I say I'm standing on holy ground as I speak about them. Because God is closest to them. And God says, hey, my friends, he's right there knocking at the door of that heart. Saying, I'm here, I can mend it for you. There is hope. There is hope. It's not in these drugs. He's right there, very close. Hey, you, you are entangled in smoking. That, cannot, that craving will not go away. You will need another smoke. As it wears away, it will, you will need another smoke. I'm right here, I'm close. As I talk about smoking people, I know I'm standing on holy ground because God is closest to them. He's closest to them. Jesus Christ has already received me. My purpose in life is just to receive him and it's all okay. Vivian, when I do that, it's all okay in my life. I'm not talking about rituals. I'm talking about a relationship. We don't get into a marriage to buy each other flowers. And when we're in there, we want to please each other and we start buying each other flowers because that's a relationship, right? But the whole point is not flowers. Hey, the whole point is not rituals. Rituals are only a celebration of that relationship we have with him. The whole point is a relationship. That's the whole point, my friends. My friends, the battle is now in the mind. And the thinking person in the psyche, in the soul, 
the devil, Paul is saying, that mind is made out of clay and the devil is dealing his golf balls on them and we're now broken. A battle between good and evil. It's not in Afghanistan. It's not in Syria. It's in our minds. The devil wants to steal the identity of God. Your identity. You need to guard the avenues of your mind. You need a spiritual helmet. The devil is playing mind games. We are designed to be happy. Last night we discovered you actually have a pleasure center. God designed you to have pleasure. The devil wants to steal that away. I'm going to explain this. Do you find yourself just angry? Are you a bitter person? Sometimes you don't even ask, oh, hey, my friends, as I speak about this, I'm not speaking down. I know I'm standing on holy ground. Find yourself just moody. You don't connect with others. Unless you take something that makes you high, that's when you feel you're worthy. Is this you? I don't know what the devil did. It could have been when you were young. And many people out there, I don't have to use an example. Young, beautiful girls, she was 10, and a creepy uncle broke into the bedroom and did things. And now as you're growing up, you are angry and you are bitter. Oh, my friend, it's the devil who wanted to steal the identity of God. Do you have an idea how close God is and he wants to repair that broken soul and give you a new identity? I don't know what happened. Father walked out. And as you were growing up, you were just raised without a father. And your heart longed as you were growing up to connect with your father. And even as you are an old man now, you just don't understand this whole thing. You even cannot connect with your father in heaven because the father on earth did not do a good job. My friend, God is closest to you. He wants to restore God's image in you. No, 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 he's not playing a blame game. He's not here to say you are bad. His, his core business right now, do you remember that woman that was caught in the act? And they brought her to Jesus to be judged, to be condemned, and to be stoned. Jesus is there saying, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. Do you know what they had been saying? As they were dragging her to the temple through the city, prostitute, Prostitute, stone her, prostitute. As she comes to Jesus, for the first time, she hears, Lady, sweet, gentle voice. Lady, I, I, can, I, I can tell you when we get to heaven, go and ask that woman. I'm sure she did not believe her ears. Because Jesus said, woman. Read, it's there in John chapter 8. That word that was used by Jesus, because the translation just says woman in English, it doesn't capture the, the attitude and, 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 and the tone of Jesus. The word that Jesus uses there 
it is a it is a it is a it is a term that endears that dignifies Jesus is in the business of restoring dignity that we have lost he says woman in fact i think an equal translation would have been lady and, and she might have been thinking, looking down in shame. I don't think Jesus is talking to me because I'm not a lady. Everyone in this town knows I'm a prostitute. There is some other lady somewhere. A lady, I mean you. Who? Me? Yes, you. That's Jesus' core business. Jesus' core business. It is the devils to condemn us. But it is Jesus to dignify us. My friends, I don't know what it means for you. I'm going to skip, skip, skip this because I want to close now. Here's a promise. Here's a promise. Jesus is saying, I know the thoughts I have for you. I know the thoughts I have for you. In fact, not just the thoughts, the thoughts that I think God is a thinking God. You know what he thinks about? He thinks about us. Do you know how, how thrilled I was when Joyce handed me that, those socks? To know that when I was away, someone was thinking about me. Even when we are far away from God, God is thinking about us. He's thinking. Forget about all the pictures culture has taught us about God. In fact, that's a distortion of who God is, that God is waiting with a six-pound hammer to judge you. That's not true. If ever he's looking down below at all, it's because he wants to connect. Toward you is this thing that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. An expected end. And you don't need to fix yourself. Does someone know how to play? Do you know how to play the song, Just As I Am Without One Plea? Please. That's a prayer that I want us to pray in singing. If this is your prayer this morning, just as I am, I'm not going to sort myself out with my mess. I'm coming to you, Father. Human beings may reject me. Family may reject me. Sometimes the church may reject me. But Father, I know that just as I am, you can receive me. As about my mess, it's all about you. You're going to clean me up. I can clean myself up, but it's you who can clean me. So just as I am. I, I'm not asking you to stop doing that behavior so that you can come to God. Just test him. You will see how much you will lose the appetite for that thing. Test him. It is his, it is his business to make us stop things. We don't have to stop things so just to come to him. So, hey, as I make this call, I'm not expecting you to be perfect to come to God because the one who is calling you is still struggling. How can I expect you to have it all? If I pointed at you with one finger, three will be pointing back at me. Just as I am without one plea, but 
This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park SDA Church. Good 
Hi, my name is Dr. Andrew Pennington and I'm the practice principal and an integrative general practitioner at Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic in Waitara in Sydney. Today I want to talk to you about how to use exercise to treat and potentially reverse your type 2 diabetes. In particular, I'm going to talk about high intensity exercise. Now, Guidelines around most Western societies suggest that we should uh, be involved in doing 30 minutes of moderate intensity uh, physical activity every day, and I would certainly agree with that. But when it comes to type 2 diabetes, you can actually get some significant improvement, even greater than the 30 minutes a day, using high intensity exercise. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the way that I talk to my patients about how to do this. It's actually quite easy. You can do this in many ways. There are many exercise modalities that are amenable to high intensity exercise, whether you want to do it via swimming or via walking and running or jogging and running uh, or even boxing or cycling. There are a lot of ways you can do it. But the principle here is that when we do high intensity exercise, and this is exercise where we're exercising close to our limit, around a 90 to 100% capacity of effort, this actually has a significant effect on the muscle's ability to take up blood sugar and take it out of the bloodstream and put it into the muscles where it can be utilized for energy production. And when we do this high intensity exercise, it actually fools in some ways the muscle into thinking that it needs to do more effort than it is. And it upregulates the sensitivity of the hormone insulin, which pulls blood sugar from the bloodstream into the tissue. So Interestingly, studies have shown that we really don't need to do very much exercise at a high intensity level to get the benefit here. It's actually about six minutes every week. Do you think you've got six minutes? Six minutes is really not a lot of time. Now, I would say that six minutes just doing high intensity exercise might not be the best way to approach it. And that's why I like the concept of high intensity interval training. High intensity interval training is basically where you start off exercising in whatever capacity you want to do. I find possibly the easiest way to do this is on a stationary bike. So imagine if, you, if you've got access to a stationary bike, either at a gymnasium near you or at home, you can easily adapt this into your setting. And the way I explain to my patients is, I want you to start getting onto that bike and going at about a 50% effort. So, and do that for about two minutes. And of course, you should warm up before you do this, a little bit of a stretch. And I should also mention, of course, check with your doctor to make sure that this is appropriate for you, your medical condition, before you engage in high intensity uh, interval-based training. But assuming that you've got the medical clearance and check up from your doctor to do this, then start with the, about two minutes of 50% effort. So you're sort of strolling along there. It's not particularly difficult for you to do it but you're just starting to get your heart rate up again. And then at the two minute mark, I want you to really go whole hog out, really go hard um, and do that for 20 seconds. So you're strolling on and you're really going as fast as you possibly can or close to as fast as you possibly can. And at the end of 20 seconds, just slow it back again to about a 50% effort and continue to do that for about two minutes. And then again, go back into another 20 seconds of going really, really fast and then slow it back to two minutes. So if you, if you sort of add this up, if you did that block 
of about 12 to 14 minutes a day, which is very achievable, I think, you've actually got at least one and a half minutes of high intensity exercise. And all you need to do is do that four times a week. Pretty simple. I encourage you to give this a go and you'll be surprised at how much improvement you can get on your diabetes level. You may even surprise your doctor. Of course, as I mentioned, check with them that this isn't appropriate for your uh, particular situation. They don't have any injuries that preclude you from doing this or you don't have cardiovascular disease, which may need to be treated prior to doing this level of exercise. It's a great way, I find, of improving blood sugar control in someone who has type 2 diabetes and certainly part of the potential for reversing this condition. Uh, if you'd like to know more principles about how lifestyle strategies can actually treat or prevent a chronic disease such as diabetes, sanctuaryclinic.com.au. You can also go to our Facebook page. Just search for Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic in Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome to the minute that makes a difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference would it make if you exercised regularly? It could make the difference between life and death. According to the World Health Organization, physical inactivity causes an estimated 3.2 million deaths globally. And it's been identified as the fourth leading risk factor for global mortality. Action is the law of our being. Activities like walking, cycling, swimming and gym workouts are great, but don't overlook things like useful labour and gardening, which also provide a sense of accomplishment. Interestingly, taking care of that beautiful garden in Eden was the creator's number one choice of physical activity for our first parents. So protect your health by enjoying regular physical activity. It makes a difference. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.